Welcome to the City Beautiful Church podcast. Thank you for taking the time to join our family as we strive to live together in heavenly reality. For more great content, visit us online at citybeautiful.ch. I see everything in nature as God expressing himself. Because of that, nature is really close to my heart. Looking at the sky or the plants or the sea, I see God in all of those things as our source of life. The mind can move quickly, but God's nature moves at its own pace, its own rhythm. sun and the earth's rotation. It's all orchestrated that sometimes I just need to slow down and listen to that more than my own thoughts. I think the bigness of mountains and the way they make me feel so small makes me hear the voice of God and feel the presence of God in the most real way. I begin to be engaged in this sacred act. I have a chance to engage in this thing that's been happening forever. This is what I was made for. I feel that welling up inside of me of how big he is and how close he is to me. I'm almost just trying to engage with God, have an experience with him. He really is inviting me into that same journey. Welcome everyone to City Beautiful Church. Uh, It's so good to see your smiling, beautiful faces this morning. Uh, We're currently in this series called Listening to the Voice of God. Um, And what we wanted to do in in the the start of the series is look at some of the primary ways that God speaks to us. Um, We've looked at how God speaks to us through scripture. Um, God speaks to us through the great tradition of the church. Um, God speaks to us through our community, the people that he has saved us into, the family he's given us. Uh, today we're going to be looking at um, how God speaks to us through nature. I always try to do at least one uh, nature message a year, uh, just to kind of check the box there, you know, and then we can continue on. So, but um, you know, this is again one of the one of the fascinating things about this series for me personally, even just as someone like writing sermons, is it's one thing to get up here and talk about why nature is important, right? But when I when it's framed as like God speaks to us through nature, it's kind of invited me to slow down and really consider what is that. Like, what does that mean? I know that's true, but what does that actually look like? So it's been a really great experience for me uh, just working through this. So I'm going to pray, and we'll jump right into this. Um, Father, you know, so much of the work that you do through the Spirit of Jesus is to connect the dots. You know, we all come in here, and we, we know some things about you. We know some things about ourselves, uh, what it means to be a human being. We know some things about nature and creation itself, and Uh, Lord, there's so much power when we begin to connect all of those things, Uh, when you begin to shine light in those those areas of our lives that we previously never considered that you might have something to say to us. Um, And that's why we're here, Lord, because we want to continually be open and and present to you, uh, just willing to to allow you to show us who you are and to speak to us by any means necessary. Um, Lord, we don't want to overly narrow what it means for you to speak. Uh, so, Lord, that's, that's my prayer this morning, is that you would continue to connect those dots for us. You'd show us the interrelatedness of all things and how all of it sings for your glory. And so may the words of my lips and the meditation of all of our hearts be ever-pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. And so God speaks to us about who he is through the handiwork of his creation. Uh, at the end of March, I took uh, kind of a little sabbatical. I, I drove up to North Carolina I got myself a little cabin in the woods, and I had my books, and, you know, just drinking a lot of tea and kind of trying to just recenter. You know, I'm I'm finding this is a really important practice for me, and uh, part of that was I was really excited to go up and hike. So I I got there, uh, you know, on a Monday night, Tuesday, I thought, you know, I'll go out today, I'll do two, three miles, come home Wednesday, I'll go out and I'll do like a big long hike, maybe I'll get a little bit out Thursday, and then Friday I'll go out. So this was my plan. 
and so I got out into the woods and I found this lovely trail called the Friars Creek Rim Trail. It's, it's, tw it's a 25-mile loop altogether uh, in, in a national forest up in North Carolina. And uh, I, I climbed for about, I don't know, two hours. Uh, maybe it was about three miles in and I was up at like 3,800 feet and it was gorgeous. Um, actually, this is an image uh, from up there, just a really beautiful area of the country. And uh, I realized, oh, I'm probably a little bit far. I need to, I need to backtrack. And, you know, I need to start coming home. Like, it's, gonna, it's starting to get a little bit dark and starting to rain. And I'm following along, and I'm trying to follow the map on my, my phone, you know, which is always a really great idea when you're up in the woods, right? And I come to this like, little fork, and it's like I can continue to go the way that I've come from, or this trail, according to the map, looks like it might actually get me there sooner. Great, let's do that. So I start, like, just going down this mountain in this little trail. And it's a little weird. It seems like it's not very well kept, but you know, that's not uncommon. And I continue to follow this trail and it seems like, well, there's maybe another half trail there. That doesn't really, no, I'll, I'll not go there. You continue to figure it out. And then all of a sudden I get onto this ridge and I'm like, there's no trail. And I turn around and I'm like, I, I don't even know if I've been following a trail. I think that was just like space in between trees, which is not <laughs> the same thing, you know? And uh, I, you know, I remembered I used to, like, like I remembered my Boy Scout training. It's like okay, so I can just keep going down and then find a source of water and then follow that. And this is a rim, so there's a this is a round loop. So theoretically, any direction I go, I'm going to find the trail, even though it's 25 miles long. So I started decided what I would do is actually try to get my way back up to the main trail and then follow that back around. And um, so I ended up uh, about seven hours, uh, and I ended up doing 11 and a half miles. <laughs> and uh, that night, I actually texted my girlfriend. I'm like, this is crazy. I got lost in the woods, but I found my way out. And I thought it was this really great story of celebration, and she was not so happy uh, that that's what had happened. But, um, you know, it, it was, it was, and it was, I was so much in pain the next day that I, I couldn't go anywhere. Like, Wednesday, just sat on the couch all day uh, and read. But... You know, it was this amazing reminder to me of, we have these notions of nature, you know. Uh, we have these, this language, this definition, even this romanticized notion of what creation is. Um, but we often do that in a way that we're trying to control it still. We're trying to control the narrative. And rather to let nature be what it is, um, I think opens us up to really uh, understanding who God is on the deeper level of listening to him through his own creation. So um, just in the spirit of tying all of this together and this listening to the voice of God, we're going to practice something that we did uh, a couple of weeks ago when we talked about listening to God through scripture. And what we did was called uh, Lectio Divina or the divine reading of scripture, which is a prayerful consideration. We're not, you know, we're not using our analytic brains to pick apart uh, Bible verses and figure out what it means, but we're actually using scripture to enter into this connection with Christ and allowing him to speak to us through that. So everybody's got a clipboard, um, and there's a few lines of scripture there. And what we're going to do is I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to slowly and meditatively read these three little passages from the Old Testament. And, and the posture that I want you to have there is just allow the words to wash over you. Don't assign meaning immediately, but just allow the Holy Spirit to, to show you something, to speak to you something through that. And then I'm going to give you just a couple minutes to write, write down some of your reflections. I think that's very helpful when we really get it down on paper. We can see what the Lord's speaking to us in it. Um, and we're actually, we're going to use uh, some music from my favorite composer. His name is John Luther Adams. Um, you know, so he's kind of in my camp. He's one of my people, maybe. Um, but he, he graduated uh, from, uh, from music school in Southern California, moved up to, into Alaska, and he's been there for 30 or 40 years. And most of the music he writes is this reflection on the Alaskan tundra. And this is a piece called The Wind in High Places. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to slowly and meditatively read. And you close your eyes or whatever you need to do to kind of get in that space. And I'm just going to give you a couple minutes to hear from the Lord and see what he might want to say. Um, so, Father, you know, as we enter into these scriptures, this is the place where, you know, we're not talking about it. We actually start doing it. Uh, we're, we're, or even more appropriately, we create this space for you to speak, to make the connections, to show us things. And we, Lord, we want to hear from you through scripture uh, and through creation. So, um, Father, speak to us through uh, these passages of, of, of the Bible. 
The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the end of the world. Let the heavens rejoice, let the earth be glad, let the sea resound in all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Let all the trees of the forest sing for joy. Let all creation rejoice before the Lord, for he comes, he comes to judge the earth. Ask the animals, and they will teach you. Or the birds in the sky, and they will tell you. Or speak to the earth, and it will teach you. Or let the fish in the sea inform you. Which of all of these does not know that the hand of the Lord has done this? In his hand is the life of every creature and the breath of all mankind. Lord, speak to us for we're listening. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Just as you feel like God's sharing something with you there, just jot it down. Continue to speak to us. So you can you can continue writing. Um, you know, if the Lord's continuing to speak to you there, I want you know that's important. I want you to hold on to that. Uh, I want you to really take that to heart. You know, one of the things that these kinds of passages in Scripture continuously speak to me is this is a good world created by a good God. You know, the, the whole purpose of Genesis 1, the way that that poem is written, is to tell us that God does not create out of strife or discord, but he creates things out of this overflowing joy, and he names these things good. There's an inherent goodness to creation. And that's difficult for us sometimes because we kind of live in this intermediary uh, space. I love... Um, you know, when we're looking at you know, cosmology and, and, and relativity, we're looking at the bigness of the universe, this kind of this uh, divine perfection and order in the way things work. And when you get really down into quantum mechanics and you're looking at the thing that makes up the thing that makes up the thing that makes up the thing, and all of a sudden you're talking about strings, you know? Anybody like to go there? Maybe, right? I mean, you, you all saw Infinity War, right? Like, you know, <laughs> quantum, you know? Uh, but there's this, like, at the base building blocks of 
existence itself, there's this perfection. There's this oneness. There's this goodness. You know, we're in this middle space that sometimes when we're not sensitive to it, we don't always recognize um, that this is a good world that's created by a good God and that his fingerprints are everywhere. And I think, you know, that the problem is for us in our day and age, our disconnection from nature is a very new problem in the human story. I think we're more separated from the language of nature than ever before. And how did this happen? Where, where did this separation come from um, that we don't inherently step into that connectedness with God's creation and in turn allowing God to speak to us through it? Well, there's been a kind of a thread that has run through church history and theology that kind of rears its ugly head every couple uh, hundred of hundred years, uh, this, this idea of Gnosticism. And it actually is not a Christian idea. It comes from uh, other philosophies and other uh, um, in other nations. And what Gnosticism basically says is that there's the spiritual world and it's over here, and there's the physical or the material world and this is over here. And the material world is, it's corruptible and it's not very nice, and the real goal of Gnosticism is if we can have this secret knowledge that helps us to transcend the physical world and enter into the spiritual world, that's the real goal of life. Now, it may worry you because that might sound like things that you've heard in church before, that the flesh is bad and the material world's bad and, and we have to kind of go to this other spiritual place and that's the real goal. And there's kind of three major tragedies that have come because Gnosticism has woven itself into Christian theology in a lot of the rooms in our household. Uh, number one, God only lives in these little brick buildings, Okay. This is kind of the, one of the first ones, that if you want to know God, you have to go to a building uh, once every seven days for about an hour and a half, and you're going to sing some songs, and you're going to listen to someone yammer on in Latin, uh, and then that's where you're going to meet God, and then you're going to go back out into a world that doesn't really have a lot to do with who he is. And it was really unfortunate because in, in Jewish theology and in, in a lot of other traditions within Christianity, the whole thing is seen as God's temple. That's what a lot of the Psalms are telling us, is like, all of creation is God's house. And the buildings that we create are supposed to be these little icons, these opportunities for us to gather, but by no means are they the exclusive dwelling place of God. Um, the second thing is heaven is other. Okay, if you separate out the material and the spiritual, the material's bad, we're trying to get to the spiritual, so all of a sudden we develop these ideas that heaven means we're gonna be zapped away to somewhere else uh, to, on a cloud and you're gonna play the harp and you're gonna wear white robes. And that actually comes from uh, like these, these medieval images that they had of heaven and hell, and it's not really biblically sound. Because what, what uh, we start to see in the Jewish story and then in the early Christian uh, understanding was that heaven and earth, the physical and the spiritual, are intimately connected. They're woven together. And it's not about us going somewhere else, but it's actually realizing the spiritual within the physical. Um, there's a wonderful Scottish theologian, George MacLeod, and he said, matter matters because at the heart of the material is the spiritual. And so unfortunately what that's developed is none of this really matters because God's going to zap us off somewhere else anyway, so we may as well just let it, let it all go to hell, literally. Uh, and we'll just, it will, it'll take care of itself. It's fine. It's all temporary and, and that's not a biblical worldview. And the third and final thing is that it has spoken terrible things about our bodies. That our bodies as physicality, as material things, are bad. Our bodies are bad, they're corruptible, and they're not very useful, and, and we've unfortunately misinterpreted when Paul's talking about the flesh as being like our actual bodies, and it's led to a lot of body negativity, it's led to a lot of shame, and we've oppressed our own bodies, and what's happened is so many of us are so disconnected from our bodies because of shame that we can't listen to them and love them as part of God's creation. And so you can see how Gnosticism, how that dualistic worldview of material equals bad, spiritual equals good, has over-separated us out in our view of God and what the world is about, where God lives, and what happens within our bodies. And this is tragic because the Western church is falling behind the conversations that are happening within society today, whether it comes to creation care or it comes to body care. 
because we believe these heresies that none of the physical world really matters in the end because God's just going to take us elsewhere. There's an actual new phenomenon now called plant blindness, which is where we have gotten to this point where we cannot see plants. Like think, about, think about the last animal that you saw. You know, what, what kind of species was it? What size? What color? And so on. But when was the last time that you noticed a plant? You see, we've actually trained ourselves to only see nature as the negative gap between man-made things. That's what we're looking for. We've trained ourselves to look at the world that way. We're looking for human beings, and we're looking for things that people have created. And we've surrounded ourselves by concrete, and we've created these physical barriers uh, to, na uh, to nature itself. But within the Christian household, there have always been these voices that are reminding us that matter matters and that God has plans and a destiny for the creation. In the ninth century, uh, there was an Irish monk and theologian, his name was John Scotus Eriogena, handsome guy. Um, he, he was from Ireland, he worked in the courts in France, and then at the end of the life, apparently his students stabbed him to death with their pens. So I don't really know if, if uh, you know, he had the most successful tenure, but he... he <laughs> He spoke about the importance of us being able to read the big book and the little book together. And he said, the big book is the, is the book of creation all around us, that as we see in the Psalms, that all of creation sings to the glory of God, like declares who God really is, and we have to learn how to listen. And we also listen to the little book of Scripture. And those two books, are, we need them together. If we don't hold them together, then neither of them really make a lot of sense. And... I love that idea that nature is a sacred text that's waiting for us to learn how to read it in the same way that we have to like, carefully and honestly learn how to read scripture. We need to learn how to read nature around us. I think this is, but this is what's so key. This is one of the most powerful things to me about learning uh, how to read nature. When we listen within creation itself for God, it's not a romanticized escapism but an earthy honesty. And I think that's what many of us desperately need. We find this passage in Romans 8. It's kind of one of Paul's really big mountaintop experiences in the letter to the Romans. And many of you would know the first bit of Romans 8 where it talks about, you know, we're not to live according to the flesh, we're to live according to the spirit and that idea of God giving us the spirit now to lead us to his certain future. And you might know the end of uh, Romans 8 where it says, you know, if Christ is for us, who can be against us? Kind of this assurance of our personal salvation. And there's this odd bit of scripture in the middle that has a lot of strange language in it that many of us would script, skip over. Again, because we've been taught that the gospel is just about your personal salvation, your personal relationship, and God doesn't really have an opinion on any of the rest of it. But I actually think this is an incredibly important piece of scripture for this very reason. So Paul's talking about what it means for us to be led by the Spirit and what it feels like to be engaging with the Spirit right now at this moment in history. He says, We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. Again, it's not about scrapping. God doesn't throw away the material. He redeems it. He gives it new value. He brings it back to wholeness. For in this hope, we were saved. But hope that's seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. And so he says, yes, God is in the process of rescuing and redeeming humanity, but that's not all. He's rescuing and redeeming the entire universe. All of creation is held together by Christ and is being redeemed by him. And this idea that not only is it the spirit inside of us that groans when we feel that tension that this is not the way that things should be, but all of creation around us is groaning. All of creation feels that, that hope pulling us forward to say, there's something more, there's something else that God is doing here, and we feel it in the depths of what it means to be his creation. And so when we look at nature, it's not this romanticized idea of like, oh, everything's perfect and lovely and human beings are very messy. No, creation is messy as well. But what we see in creation is this template 
for what it means to groan in anticipation of being redeemed, of being transformed, of being saved. And when we begin to listen to nature properly, we can actually participate in that groaning, in that yearning, and in that longing. See, creation itself teaches us about that already not yet tension that we find with the kingdom of God, that we've already been saved, that we're in the process of being saved right now, and someday we shall be saved. And all of creation resonates with us in that. And do you realize how radically our attitude shifts when we realize that human beings are not separate from nature, but are a part of it? I think this is why we have such a hard time coming up with solutions for what we find uh, the issues in creation itself because we separate them out. It's human beings versus nature. But if we realize that we are created beings, again, in that Genesis 1 poem, God is creating and each day things are getting more and more complex because they speak more and more to the truth of who he is. And humanity is the apex of the creation story, not something that's separate from it. We realize what we're doing is we're actually caring for our own. We're caring for ourselves. We're caring for this thing that we have been put in charge of together. And is this not, this tension, this yearning, this desire for hope, is this not where we find Christ? That the cross to us is the best demonstration of what God is like, speaks of honesty and groaning and yearning, yet also holds that tension with hope, the already not yet of the kingdom. And so like in the rest of this series, like community and tradition, nature gives us context for our light and momentary troubles. Another beautiful phrase that Paul uses um, elsewhere in his letters are light and momentary troubles. And, you know, maybe you came in here today and you're like, my problems are not light and they don't feel momentary. You know, and that's natural. That's what human beings do, right? When we feel pain, pain being a rapid influx of information that our brains don't know what to do with it. That's what pain is. Um, it tur we turn inwards and we become our own little universe. We become our own little unit. Uh, because we're trying to process a lot of information. And one of the things that I think we find so beautiful in the way that God speaks to us is the way God speaks to us draws us out of our self-centeredness because of our pain and suffering. And it gives us a bigger context for what it means to be a human being in this day and age. And so as Paul was sharing with us last week, our Paul, not St. Paul. I mean, he's a saint too. He's great. Um, Community gives us that larger context when we're engaging with the stories of people around us and it gives us this solidarity with the body to which God has made us a part. And the great tradition does the same. When we kind of look back and lean on the church fathers and mothers who have come before us, who have asked the same questions and, and struggled with the same sufferings and yet still have persevered to engage with God, creation does that same thing for us. It doesn't diminish our problems to recognize that we are part of creation and that there's a larger narrative at work here. But it does give us context for the larger world and for what God is doing and to trust that God sees us in the, that larger narrative. This is something that I've really been learning about myself because of my personality, recognizing how important it is for me to practice being connected to nature as spiritual practice. Whether it's, you know, especially in those days when I'm feeling overwhelmed or I I'm, I'm, I'm feel myself turning in on myself to go out and to take a walk or to go to a park or even to work in my garden instead of the normal ways that I would tend to my feelings of being overwhelmed, which are just to tune out and avoid it and, and watch a lot of television or just try to distract myself with other man-made things that actually compound the problem because it's still selfish. And someday, I'm sorry, Someday I'm going to do a sermon about the difference between like self-care and ego massage, okay? Can I get someone to testify? Like, there, there's, a, there's a wonderful conversation going on right now in our, in our society about self-care, but most of us just massage our egos, which makes us turn inward on ourselves even more rather than actually participating in spiritual practices that connect us to the larger story because that's the place that we actually find redemption. And it's important that we learn how to recontextualize whatever we're struggling with in the moment. 
that solidarity doesn't diminish your problems. It doesn't mean that you don't matter just because other people are suffering. But it actually means that that ties you in with the human story. And it actually ties you in with the story of God's redemption. And when you're feeling overwhelmed or you're suffering, to connect yourself to nature again, to go outside, to take your shoes off, to feel the grass on the bottom of your feet, to look up into the night sky and to see these stars that are literally radiating light to us that's like four billion years old. Like, does that not do something for you? Doesn't that speak to something to go, oh, this is a little bit bigger than whatever I'm struggling with. This is a bit more important than my boss doesn't like me, or I'm having relationship issues, or I don't know what to do with my life. There's this bigger thing going on around us. And when we recontextualize our lives, it gives us a better lens to say, okay, let's come back to my story and the part that I have to play in the, the creation narrative and allow God to speak to me there. Is this not what Jesus is doing in the Sermon on the Mount? And he says, consider the lilies. Look how they're clothed, they're amazing. Look at the little birds. Do they want? Are they struggling? Jesus is literally inviting us to this. He says, don't worry, like, don't turn in on yourself. Get out into creation, into God's holy temple, and allow it to speak back to you, to show you this is what God's up to. This is God's attitude. This is God's intention. And this is what's so beautiful when we begin that process of putting our story in the larger creation narrative, that learning to listen to nature helps us to practice being fully present to God, which changes what we have to say when it's our time to speak. If we only try to connect with God out of our little egotistical universe that we've created within ourselves, when we start to pray, it comes out of this place of anxious desperation and it's terribly selfish. And we wonder why we don't hear God speak to us. But when we first practice that saying prayer is not us just exercising our anxieties out loud and airing all of our dirty laundry in kind of this disconnected God. Again, that dualism says, well, God's kind of over there. He's not really involved in the material. And so every once in a while, God will intervene and show up, but largely this thing's just kind of doing its thing. And that, if that fuels our prayers, what do we do? We're just trying to do the rain dance, right? It's like all of our pagan ancestors. We're trying to do the dance or make the sacrifice to get God to pay attention to us because we don't inherently believe that he's already here and he's already speaking. But when we believe that prayer, first of all, is listening and it's abiding and we step into those kinds of spaces and we first allow God to speak to us of his character and his withness, it radically changes when we start to pray. It changes what we're asking for. It changes how we see God and our expectations of how he's going to move in our lives. And so I believe quite literally that learning to listen with our physical ears to nature around us helps to open our spiritual ears. And conversely, when we lose nature, God's voice gets quieter. I think it's imperative that we come back to the first command that God gave us in Genesis. He said, take care of the earth and steward it. That's the primary calling of human beings. That's not a side gig. That's not like where you volunteer. Like that's the thing. That's why you were created and that's what you're here to do. That you are called to stand in the gap between creation and God and to hold them together. And so when we care for creation, when we celebrate the earth, we are acknowledging the God that is at the center of it all. I'm trying to enter into this, this space of being more practically a, a generous person. So kind of on top of my tithes and my offerings, I've been looking for places to be able uh, to use my financial resources uh, to, to make the world a better place. And, and I came across this organization, Oceana, that I now start to... Um, 
to invest in. And what they do is that they lobby governments around the world to create uh, nature preserves that, you know, our, our fishing industry is abysmal. Like, it's not sustainable. We're going to be out of fish in, like, 50 years. And they're, they're tackling the issue of ocean plastic, like the amount of plastic that we put in, and then all these animals are eating it, and then we're eating those animals. Like, it, we're killing ourselves when we don't take care of nature. And I've begun to see that as an opportunity for me to worship God by doing what he created me to do. And you see, a lot of times when we talk about creation care, what automatically happens is there's this divine conversation about who we are as human beings and what we're called to do, and we drag it down into the political divide, and it either becomes conservative or liberal stuff, and we start to argue about climate change and all this, and, and that's, tra that's a tragedy when that's what we hear this about. Like, you and I, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, as people who acknowledge that we are the children of God, like, we can partner with other human beings to do things about the earth, but the reason that we do it is drastically different. We don't do it for political motives, and we do, don't do it out of a sense of panic. We steward the earth because we are preserving the voice of God. We do creation care because we are saying it is so important that we have every opportunity for God to speak to us, that every time that we lose a species, you realize we're going to lose a million species by 2050. We have lost 50% of our species of sharks alone. Like when that happens, we lose the voice of God. This isn't about being liberal or conservative. It's not even really about like our rights to what we want or what we don't want. This is about worshiping God and preserving the thing that he's called us to. And it's time for the church to start leading the conversations. Because we have the knowledge. We have the access to God Almighty. And to lead the conversations about creation care, about body care, instead of turning a blind eye and pretending that none of it matters because God's going to burn it up in the end all anyway. And so if you turn over that paper that I gave you, This is a little prayer technique that, I de that I've developed and that I use a lot. And I, just, you know, I want to challenge you to take this sometime this week and just practice it. It's very, very simple. All it's doing is saying this is about learning to listen to nature, to put myself in a space to communicate with God. And all I do, you know, sometimes we do meditation where it's this inward thing where we're, we're turning in and listening to the spirit within us, which is tremendously important. But this is a meditation that helps put us out there. So I want you to go to a park or sit in your backyard, and this is what you do. You just start, and you go, here I am, and here you are, and here we are together. And then you start to listen, and you start to add things in there. Here I am, and here's this tree, and here you are, and here we are together. And here I am, and here's this tree, and here's this squirrel, and here you are, and here we are together. And here I am, and here's this tree, and here's that squirrel, and there's that bougainvillea, and here you are, and here we are together. And just to practice that, because what you're doing is you're exercising those muscles of realizing the interconnectedness you have with all things. And then you're in the best position to listen. So I want to invite you to stand, and we're going to worship God. The God who's not disconnected from the physical world, but is intimately connected to it. The God who doesn't rescue us from the, the material, but actually incarnates himself in the person of Jesus, takes on the physical world, takes on a physical body so that it can be redeemed from the inside out. And I believe when we worship God, it connects us deeper to this larger story of creation, speaking to his glory. And so, Father, we thank you that you have given us creation to speak these profound eternal truths about what you're like. And not only what you're like, but what you're doing. And Lord, we also recognize that you have challenged us to live into this vocation, that we are called to steward the earth, to care for her, to, to guide her, to help her to flourish. Because we are part of creation. We're not opposed to it. And so, Father, as we worship you this morning, I pray that you would speak to us about the part that each of us have to play. That we would see 
at the heart of the material is the spiritual. And that we would leave this place connected to a bigger story, a truer story. That we would live well in that creative tension of the kingdom of God. May this all be to your glory, we pray in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Let's worship. This has been the City Beautiful Church podcast. To stay connected, follow us on social everywhere at City Beautiful CH. We hope you join us again soon.